Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. My name's Naomi and it is such a privilege to be bringing the word tonight. And uh, before we get started though, I do want to open in prayer, more prayer, but... I've had a very big day and I just want to lay this down before we get started. God, there is just nothing that I can bring that can nourish our souls. It's all you, God, that does that work. So would you come and bring these words to life and bring us fresh revelation tonight. Bring us closer to you and closer to one another. Amen. We are in Luke for the last time. Ever? No, not ever. Keep reading your Bibles. Uh, But it's been a long time that we've been reading Luke together and we've been looking at the miracles. Tonight we're looking at a healing miracle. And before we jump in, let's read it together. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. You can turn it on. Okay, we're in Luke 18. We're going to start at verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Every healing story we've read together in Luke has resulted in incredible breakthrough, physical manifestation of power, and somebody's life restored. There've been, Jesus has a 100% track record in this department. And then he's instructed his disciples in another part of the Gospels to go and do likewise. And so we are here, this command, this commission, handed down generation after generation of believers and we pray for healings and sometimes we see them and I don't know about you but certainly for me most of the time I don't. And there's a tension in this and I want to dig into it tonight if that's okay. Because so often, I think we, if we don't dig into this difficulty of, I don't know, matching up our lived experience with this commission and the life of Jesus that he lived as a model for ours, we can be at risk of great disappointment and even at times bitterness. And there's a fracture there in our relationship with God. So that's what I want to dig into tonight, keeping it light, you know. Uh, One of the most poignant stories, I'm going to start with a story of of my own in this this area. 
I was once visiting a friend uh, who is, uh, we met here, but he lives in a nation uh, that is closed, completely closed to the gospel. So he um, came to church with us a lot when he was here. He invited us to come back and visit his family. They're all of Muslim belief. And we went and visited and we were just thinking we were just going to go meet his family. It was a really exciting adventure. And uh, on our way over there, we found out that his aunt, who had been sick with cancer for a long time, had um, gone into a coma and was unresponsive to treatment. And they told us to keep coming. We were en route at the time. We arrived and they said to us, look, yes, this is really upsetting, but even more of our family has come into town because of it. So now you get to meet more people. And they tried to make this beautiful time with them. And then they asked us if we would come to the hospital and pray what they called our pure prayers over her. Because in the Muslim faith, they do believe in Jesus, but as a prophet, not as the son of God. They believe that he was the prophet who had the most healings. He had a, they believe in his 100% track record of healings and they call him the healing prophet. So they, knowing that we were believers in Jesus as the son of God, were like, well, you believe in Jesus, the one who heals, or you pray for our beloved aunt and sister and mother. And so they smuggled us into the ICU of a Muslim hospital and which, you know, was a whole thing in itself because only families allowed into departments like that. We're in there and I'd been interceding for several nights at this point, no sleep, just really praying. And I'd felt this like, I don't know, I just had this unshakable confidence, faith. It's what, that's what it was. It was faith. I just really believed we were going to see something amazing. I'd even messaged Sue back here and I was like, pray for us. There's something happening. I'm just so sure of it. And uh, when we are in there, I laid a hand on her with the permission of her daughters and started praying quietly and just felt nothing. It was all me in that moment. It was all my own effort. And then I stopped and I thought, okay, this I'm not feeling the presence of God. And I realized that I'd, I'd missed one of my little usual traditions. When I'm praying with somebody, normally the first thing I do is to silently ask God, how do I pray? And even if I don't hear anything right away or like I get a prophetic word, I just it's just grounding for me to just remind myself that I don't know what this person truly needs. God does. And he's interceding for us. So that's how I start usually. And I hadn't done that. So I, took, I just stopped and I just asked him, how do I, what do I do? How do I pray for her? And I suddenly had this picture in my head of us singing. So we started to sing a song at our friend's request because he'd come here and he really liked our church music, he called it, and he asked for what a beautiful name. So we sang that very loudly in a hospital and looking back on it now, I realise highly illegally uh, because it could have landed us in jail or worse because this, this is a, I'm deliberately not saying the name of this nation because this is being recorded and this was um, something that could have landed us in a lot of trouble to sing out, especially the lines, what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Plus we were being recorded. Anyway, it was all a big thing. But all of a sudden I still had my hand on her and I felt sudden heat come into my hand and I felt this vibration that was not me and I just felt the power of God. And I just knew in that moment that I'd been obedient and I was in alignment with his will and then part of me went, now she's going to get up. Now she's going to open her eyes and sit up and everybody here will become a believer in Jesus. 
They were already believers in Jesus as a healer, but not in the Son of God. And you know what? She didn't open her eyes, and two weeks later, she sadly passed away. And I was left a little perplexed, to be honest. I really strongly felt the power of God in the room. I know really strongly believed fervently that we were in alignment with his will in that time, at that time. And I had already witnessed miracles in my life and in others' ministries and been there firsthand. I had a, a faith that he does heal. So what happened? Well, ultimately, our minds usually go to questions like that. Why? Why didn't you heal her? And we often like to draw comparisons. Why did you heal this and not that? Why did you heal then and not now? And something recent, recently that I've discovered is a more useful way of framing our why questions, because they're very natural, very normal, is to rather than asking, why didn't you heal her, to ask, why would Jesus heal at all? Because when we understand Jesus' purposes, and honestly, we can never <laughs> fully understand them, but when we understand a bit more about why he heals, we can start to see him at work even when he's not answering the prayers and the longings of our hearts in the way that we fervently wish that he would. Because something that I've learned is that Jesus is always at work and he is always healing. There's not just physical healing. Sue and Theo, if you heard one of their messages last week, you would have heard this when they were explaining about the ten lepers. One comes back and receives the full healing, not just a physical healing, but a wholeness. There's lots of different types of healing, which is why the question, why does Jesus heal, I've found it so helpful. Well, let's dig into that just for a moment. Why does Jesus heal? Well, the world is a broken place, and you really don't need me to give you any evidence as to that. We can all agree. And Jesus' life demonstrates the kingdom of heaven at every turn. He is revealing what we can expect when the whole of this world is remade and when he's giving us new life. And he makes that new life available for us even now. But the new thing is not yet come to pass. So we see that this new life we can partake in is the life that Jesus led. And what was that life? It was one of healing and salvation. And actually those two words come from the same root word. But to really understand this, I just want to dig into a bit of church history as well because there was a big paradigm shift that happened around 400 AD, so a couple of centuries after Jesus died and rose again, the early church has had a few generations and all of a sudden we start to see in Christian art the cross becoming a central piece of the iconography. It just suddenly becomes a focus point. And even today in our Protestant movement, the cross is a central kind of gathering picture. And if you were to ask anybody really, what's, what's the main event in the Christian calendar? It's, it's the event really is Jesus' death and resurrection. There's no argument. It's a very important day, and I'm not going to actually wanting to undermine the importance of it at all. What I'm saying is that 
The main purpose, according to our current paradigm, the fulfilment of Jesus' life, the reason why he came, the way we receive our salvation, the object of our faith and our hope is the cross when we put it in the centre. And the rest of Jesus' life, where does that fit? It's the evidence that he was who he said he was. The miracles, the power, the teaching, the wisdom, all confirmed to us that he really was the son of God. As Dallas Willard has said, the life of Jesus has become ornamentation to the cross. But before 400 AD, before the cross became a central icon, the cross, actually, the centerpiece rather than the cross was the life of Jesus. It's a very subtle difference and the cross is still important to the early Christian church. But when Jesus said, go and do likewise, it was an entire lifestyle that they were following. It wasn't just a series of powerful miracles that the early church went and did. It was an entire way of life and living together in community, in rhythms. The life of Jesus was the source of healing and salvation. The life. Often we're taught it's the cross that's the source of healing and salvation. It was the life of Jesus that was the source of healing and salvation, of the new life and new creation that Jesus came to offer. The cross then to the first disciples was proof that Jesus' life that he modelled was true, that you could depend on it. See how we've switched in? And it's still incredibly important because the cross is the great culmination of this life, but it's not the beginning of the life that Jesus offered. The object of their faith and hope was the life of Jesus. And if they could live the way he did, then they could partake of the new life that they knew was true and that they knew would lead to that new kingdom because of his death and resurrection, it proved it. So what was this new life like? Well, that's a whole other teaching series that we can probably spend a couple of years on. So just in one paragraph, what was the life that Jesus offered? And we're going to draw this back down to healing. Why did he heal? This is the life he offered, that he lived and said, come and do likewise. It was an easy yoke. It was a life of heavenly joy and celebration. And it was a life where everyone, no matter what their social standing, their past, their failures, no matter what their success, everyone could come near to Jesus. Anyone could be his student, even people who dropped out of high school, even women, which is really big for that day. It was a life that restored dignity to anyone who had lost it. It was a life that provided security to people who had no means to secure their own future. And it was a life that empowered women and children and drew the children close, validated them, saw them and heard them. Jesus' life was also a life that was not afraid of his reputation. He was not afraid to be seen with people who were despised by the religious leaders of the day. He wasn't afraid to be mistaken as a drunkard because he spent time with drunkards. It didn't stop him wanting to spend time with them. He wasn't afraid to eat in the home of the tax collector and enjoy a meal, a feast put on by a tax collector which would have been brought together through immoral means. He still partook of that. It was a life that was free of a lot of those codes, religious codes and laws. And there's a lot more layers and mysteries that we can't unpack here today. 
But at every turn, Jesus brought healing, and not just in physical ways, but in the way that he would interact with people. So my question to us today is how can we access that healing and why don't we see it as frequently, even though Jesus told us to go and do likewise and even though he left us the Holy Spirit who came in power? Well, I believe that this passage here in Luke can shed some light on us today about how he heals as well as why he heals. But before we get into the passage to unpack it, I just want to emphasise two, two more points. The first one is there is no biblical formula for healing. So when I unpack now four elements that were present in this healing, do not hear that as a formula. I'm not saying if we just go and make sure that this is present every time, we will see healings. Because if there were a formula for healing, we would control healing. And friends, we can't. God is the only one who is sovereign over all of this. We can't conjure it up, we can't demand it, we can't control it. A formula for healing would negate God's sovereignty. And we see Jesus heals in all different ways. And then in Acts you can read of some incredible stories of where a handkerchief heals somebody. It's travelled halfway around the world. Let's try that one out, hey? A shadow heals somebody, just standing in someone's shadow. There's, There's no wrong or right way when it comes to the actual process. So... There's no formula and that can be a difficult tension to manage because we're very formulaic people. We like our rhythms and routines, which is why the second point is important. We cannot expect to act in the manner of Christ in terms of our own healing ministry if we're not embodying the life of Christ in our day-to-day life. We cannot expect to act in the manner of Christ We can't expect to, on the spot, do as Jesus did, move in power, see signs and wonders, if we are not also doing as Jesus did and following his steps and living as he did in all of our life. And it's quite a discipline to do that, a commitment, and it's because it's a daily outworking of our discipleship and our, our apprenticeship to Jesus. I just say that it's difficult in the face of these two truths. I've, I've found it difficult to acknowledge that in the past because healing is deeply personal. I want to take a moment just to acknowledge that as well because before any healing testimony that you hear, there's been a period of long suffering. There's a period and season of pain, of despair, of all kinds of very strong negative emotions because that's why we need the healing. That's why we need the contact with God. And I know in my own faith journey, I've started all the way over here where I didn't have faith that God still healed today. Then I started to see some things and hear some stories and I started to have a faith, a belief that he did heal, but I didn't have a faith that he would heal me in particular. And then something happened where I received what I call an inner healing, which came first for me, and I just felt completely affirmed in who I was and who I belonged to and started to have the confidence to ask him for things that I was too scared to ask him of before because if I ask him for healing and he says nothing happens, what does that say about me? 
And then you start to move on as, I don't know, character develops, right? Not saying I'm all the way over there yet. I'm probably still only one step this side of an inner healing where you start to have the confidence that God not only can do this, but he will use us to powerfully move in our lives and the lives of the people around us. And if we're not living our day-to-day lives in this rhythm with Christ, I just we get stuck here really quickly and really easily. So if you are wanting more faith on any level of the spectrum, I just really think the answer is not in seeking out powerful moves of God or anything. I actually think it's in our daily rhythms. But let's get back into the text we have today. <laughs> let's look into Luke 18. Look with me. There is a man passing by, a big commotion, and the man asks, who is it? And he's told by the crowd, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, this term for Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, that was a nowhere place. It's the same thing. Jesus of nowhere is passing by. This is a, just a man, a rabbi, the teacher, the man is passing by, you know, the one from Nazareth, that place that nothing good comes out of. And the blind man incredibly starts calling out, Jesus, son of David. He knows this isn't just a man from nowhere. Son of David to, in the Jewish faith is like saying Messiah because the Messiah would hail from the line of David. So this man immediately goes, this isn't just a man from nowhere passing by. This is Jesus, son of David. He uses a title and he uses the name, the powerful name of Jesus. And then those who led the way rebuking him and telling him to be quiet. And he shouts all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. The cry is the same as what a beggar would be crying if they were asking for alms from a passerby. It's just the words, this mercy, have mercy on me is how he would have been asking for alms for most of his life, presumably, or ever since he was, since he became in this state of destitution, relying on the goodwill of others. And he's not afraid of these people who are rebuking him. Now, he's so insistent here. In the actual original language, it's using the verbs in a way and the tense in a way that's suggesting that he's continually calling it out. It's not just these two lines we see, but he's constantly, he's just ongoing, shouting this refrain, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, over and over. So we see that he's desperate. There's some desperation here and we have to assume there's some hope here because Jesus tells us later that it was his faith that heals him. Now, I just want to pause there for for a time because healing always starts with hoping. And hoping has a way of revealing our humanity and our dependency. And it can make us and people around us rather uncomfortable. It's no wonder he would have been rebuked, really. When we see other people's dependency, complete destitution, their need, it can remind us of our own, can become very uncomfortable. Not only that, but it opens, hope opens us up to the possibility of disappointment. When we start to hope, it means that we have greater capacity than to be disappointed, to be let down. We sang earlier, Jesus, you've never let me down. 
But sometimes I feel like Jesus has let me down and that's okay to feel that way. But being open to even more disappointment, it can be scary. So hope can be scary. But desperation is what takes that hope and leads us to take risks. The blind beggar we see is very aware of his need. But for a lot of us living in comfort, it can be very difficult to open our eyes to our own need because our neediness can make us very uncomfortable. Also, our neediness might not be as obvious. We have, we're destitute in different ways and we'll be getting into the book of Matthew soon together where we'll see in the Beatitudes that blessed are the poor in spirit. And I think all of us are poor in spirit, but are all of us aware of our poverty of spirit? We'll be digging into that, prepare to get a bit uncomfortable. But this discomfort, this desperation leads us to take risks. And Theo and Sue taught beautifully last week that a key part of faith is our obedience. And if we're not stepping out in obedience, there is no risk. So this, all, there are all these elements here. The man is aware that Jesus is not just a man or another rabbi and teacher. He's the Messiah and he calls out in the power and the name of Jesus. And he's aware of his own need and he's desperate. He's got this desperation born of hope, infused with hope and faith. And then it all changes because Jesus comes near. When he's brought into the presence of Jesus, it all changes. And Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Which is actually a very rare question to be asked in a healing story. But remember, the man was calling out the same cry any beggar would, asking for alms. And he knows not just that he's needy for mercy of any sort of provision, of sustenance. He's aware of a specific need and he knows what his deepest longing is and he says it, to have my sight. And so Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Now, oftentimes when something in the, in, you know, when I've stepped out in obedience and risk, when I've prayed for my friends, beloved aunt, and nothing is happening, I'm so tempted in that moment to just go, well, maybe I just don't have enough faith. Has anybody else ever wondered that? Do I just need more faith and then God will move and then this prayer will be answered and then I'll see this miracle? But Jesus didn't say, well done, you had enough faith. There's no qualifier here. It's just faith. It's not measured. And elsewhere Jesus is taught, you only need faith the size of a mustard seed, which I tried to bring to show you and I lost it because that's how small it is. A mustard seed is tiny and that can move a mountain. So how much more do you need? I mean, have you ever seen a mountain moved? Let's just talk about how much you, let's try, I don't know if we could even split a mustard seed into smaller parts, but you don't need, it's not about the quantity of faith and we often try to put that, layer that onto it because it's something we can control or think that we can. I'll just go out and get more faith. I'll just do something that will have more faith. And we also ask ourselves different questions like, well, maybe I've just done something wrong. Maybe I haven't confessed a sin. Or maybe the person I'm praying for isn't healed because they haven't confessed a sin. 
But Jesus often is healing before any confession has taken place. That's not the formula for healing. What we see is that Jesus has come near and he's responding to the man's need. I don't know how to replicate that in every situation, but I can tell you that after we left the hospital where we'd sung very publicly and nothing had happened except for what I felt in my hand, that night all of her family came to the house where we were staying and they said, we saw the video. I was like, okay, do not show that to the religious police, <laughs> please. <laughs> we saw the video. Can you sing that song for us? We sang it again. And then they asked us line by line, what does that mean? And we spent hours explaining that song and sharing the gospel and answering their questions. And then the next night, I was still fervently praying that she would wake up and they'd still attribute it to Jesus. But nothing had happened, nothing had changed in her condition. And the next night they threw a party and I just was dancing and singing and had this realisation that the whole week we'd been there had been a week full of laughter and heavenly joy. And maybe the healing miracle wasn't that I'd really felt this faith for, wasn't that this woman was going to rise up and overcome her sickness, but actually that we were able to bring healing to her family in the midst of extreme and deep personal tragedy, the first of the kind for their family. And we started, I started to realise all the times we'd made her sister and her mum laugh for joy that week and all of the fun times we'd had with her daughters dancing that night and all of the joy. And so we took a moment to just ask if we could pray for them because all of a sudden, my husband John and I, we just wanted to keep it going. We just wanted to keep that love and laughter going. And we just started praying for them and people were just weeping and asking us, how do you know this? We just started praying this, like just whatever prophetic words we'd had come. And they were like, how do you know this about us? How do you know that? And then we got to tell them all about the Holy Spirit. And honestly, honestly, it wasn't just healing for for them in the midst of their tragedy. It was healing for me in my understanding that when Jesus calls us to do amazing, incredible things, to partner with him, to really work out his will in this world before we get to see the end of the story, what he's doing in the healing moment is he's speeding up the story for us. He's getting us to the end quicker. And the end is one where it's, that's free of suffering and of tears. And there are a lot of different ways that healing can bring freedom from suffering and freedom from tears. And it's not just in the physical manifestation of a healing for someone. It's in the inner work of our hearts and minds as well. So would you stand with me? And I want to invite the band back up. We're just going to do an exercise together if you're comfortable with that. Because I know I'm not alone in having longed to see God move and having waited and waited and waited and then maybe you're still waiting or maybe it's too late now. So I just want to invite you to, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind a time in our lives where we have longed to see him move and that we've felt disappointed or we're still waiting. And if you have something come to mind, I just 
you want to hold it out in front of you like this with your fists closed, just symbolically, this is that moment or even multiple moments where you are waiting to see God move, you are longing to see a supernatural breakthrough, you wanted to see his power move, to speed up the story. And we're just going to hold these moments out in front of us like this. And then when you're ready, I just invite you to surrender it back to his sovereignty, to give him back control over these things. And as you do, slowly open your fists to receive afresh, receive hope, receive faith, receive joy and receive love. Because when you have had prayers go unanswered, it does not in any way mean that you somehow failed or disappointed God or were in wrong standing with God. Because we've seen that our standing with God is something he's deeply concerned about, but it never gets in the way of his will and his purposes on this planet. We just want to invite now the Holy Spirit to come and fill us all afresh with peace that transcends our understanding. That we could begin to receive healing for our disappointment, for anything that's turned into bitterness, even our anger against God, for any time we feel let down. Holy Spirit, may you begin to breathe into us again new hope, new vision for how you want to use us for your purposes and your will in this place. We want to partner with you. Help us to overcome our unbelief. We want to receive your gift of faith. Help us to overcome our disappointments. We want to receive your hope. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.